I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, the Queen's Gambit. She's been a member of the Texas House for nearly half a century, but Sanfronia Thompson has always been in a class by herself, as close as it comes to Democratic Party royalty. But never more than now. First elected to represent her Houston district in 1972, the same year a young upstart named Joe Biden won his maiden race for the U.S. Senate in Delaware, she served under every governor since Dolph Briscoe. She's both the longest serving woman legislator and the longest serving black legislator in Texas history. She turned 82 on New Year's Day, making her the oldest current member of the ledge and one of the oldest members ever to serve. And she continues to be powerful, effective, and relevant. As Texas Monthly said of her admiringly a few years back, she's a living argument against term limits. Currently the chair of the Lower Chamber's Public Health Committee in the middle of a pandemic, she's revered as a compassionate advocate for vulnerable Texans, for women and children, for the at-risk and the underserved, and feared for her toughness. If you know anything about Mrs. T, it's that she doesn't suffer fools or take shit from anyone. Her list of legislative accomplishments is long and impressive. From a statewide smoking ban and stepped up child support enforcement to major reforms of the criminal justice system. Long talked about as a potential House Speaker, but hamstrung of late by her party's minority status, she filed for the open presiding officer's job last fall in advance of election day believing the blue fantasists who said that the Democrats would finally take back the majority. When they didn't, she enthusiastically pivoted to Team Dade Phelan. You don't last this long in this business without political chops and a survival instinct. A native of the blink and you'll miss a town of Booth in Fort Bend County, Mrs. T has undergraduate and law degrees from Texas Southern University and master's degrees from both Prairie View A&M University and the University of Houston. Her time as a public school teacher made her a passionate believer in the importance of education. Her work over the years as an attorney sharpened her focus on injustice. As she begins her 25th term, she continues to be guided by three Fs, faith, freedom, and fairness. As she told me when we talked on the afternoon of Friday, January 15th, day four of the 140. Point of Order is supported by the Hobby School of Public Affairs at the University of Houston, putting creative solutions to work for the world and tangibly impacting communities through education, research, and action. And by UT Health School of Public Health, compiling COVID-19 data from counties across the state into a single easy to navigate dashboard, review test positivity rates, hospitalizations, and more at texaspandemic.org. And the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, Texas's most trusted source for mental health policy and program guidance, working to improve mental health care for all Texans. Learn more at mmhpi.org. 
and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texas. So we're talking on Friday morning of week one, a day when, as the Tribune reported, we learned that one of your fellow members, Joe Deschatel of Beaumont, tested positive for the coronavirus after spending three days on the floor with other members. Now, some number of your colleagues are having to self-quarantine. This is scary stuff, is it not? Yes, it is, because this is, uh, as you know, the pandemic is still an unknown to many of us. Uh, and particularly, the medical community is learning more about it as well. But it, it, it is such a such an unknown entity that has invaded our uh, society. Yeah, if I'm correct, you yourself were not in the vicinity of Representative Deshtel. Is that right? That's correct. Because you know, I sit up front, you know, near the speaker's uh, podium. Well, that's smart for any speaker to keep you close, right? Uh, he, he's well, he, it, he's it's no a, fool. It's a spot I've had for a long time. Right, right. But I understand, Mrs. Thompson, that you did have a COVID scare of your own in your own office. What happened? Oh, uh, I just had a visitor who came in and they visit, uh, visited and uh, they tested uh, negative when they came into the building. And the, and the uh, following day, they called me and told me that they were uh, they had tested positive and yeah. then they were going to go and get a, you know, a subsequent test. In which they did, and it came back positive as well. Wow! So I had I've had my first shot of the uh, the, the uh, Moderna uh, vaccine, and um, I think uh, it might have been uh, uh, about three or four minutes uh, over the uh, fifteen minutes. But I had my mask on, safe distance, and all that stuff. So I'm doing a little self quarantining, just erring on the side of caution. Of course. Do you accept this as the new normal? As long as there's a pandemic, you're going to have a hard time keeping it out of the Capitol or off the floor of the House. Let me tell you what I think. What I think. Uh, um, let me address your question this way. I think if we were if we were to allow the legislators and our staff to be vaccinated, and I know that's a lot of logistics of getting the, getting the vaccination and and having having administered, uh, I think it would go a long ways to. To help to eliminate a lot of the problems, it's difficult, as you well know, Evans, to be able to negotiate and uh, and and deal with issues that impact so many facets of our lives that people come up to the capital to, to work on. And while Zoom and virtual uh, uh, the virtual uh, capacity that we have is an excellent mechanism, uh, it does not beat the uh, the. Uh, many times the in-room discussion with persons that uh, that that uh, that would help to enhance your knowledge or ability to be able to uh, resolve or work toward a resolution or uh, uh, to uh, impact in a very positive way uh, issues that we deal with. And I think that uh, I'm hoping that that even even if we can get uh, better tests. Uh, I was talking to a uh, new member, Representative Brian uh, Byron Cook, uh, from Carson County a few years ago, who's been a member of, of, of the legislature. He was telling me that he felt like the the mouth uh, swab in the throat was a better test than the one with in the nasal one. And 
and maybe 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 we have to use a variety of tests, but uh I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we'll be able to have people coming in the Capitol because I rely on being able to sit down and across uh, the table from somebody and, and uh talking about issues. Now now of course you passed rules yesterday for this express purpose to limit the risk and exposure of the public and of yeah. members and of staff. You voted for the changes because they passed unanimously. I know that you must have voted for them. Are, are the rule changes yeah. enough? Do you think we're prioritizing but that's this? But that, now, remember, that's during the pandemic. Well, well, I understand that. But I guess I'm asking, are you prioritizing access over health? Do you think that as a, as a body that you should be doing more? I mean, you mentioned testing. As I understand it, every, master, every member is not being tested before coming onto the floor. Is that right? I don't know. I I I get tested. Uh, I have a staff person who has been, you know, who's who's capable of doing that because you can have persons on your staff who can get trained that kind of training. And I have a person, you know, in my office that does it. Right. I guess I'm asking you though. Do you think every single member should be tested before coming onto the floor? Would that be something you'd want to see? Is there more that the rules changes or that the body generally could be doing? Let me tell you what I would like to see. I would like to see uh, more of, I would like to see all of our colleagues uh, being able to uh, review within in the, in the providence of their minds uh, the gravity of the pandemic and to be able to be more mindful of what additional steps that we can take as a body in order to, to keep ourselves and our staff and the public that we come in contact with safe. Yeah. You know, this has become very political. Mrs. Thompson, as you know, masks are political. Vaccines are political. Even testing is political. Should this be political? Well, I don't think it's. I don't. I, I don't look upon it as being a political uh, issue. Uh, I understand people have a right to not to wear a mask, not to be tested if they don't want to. Uh, I just think that I would like to. I would like to encourage them to rethink uh, of, of those positions that they may hold and to uh, look in look in terms of being able to uh, not being forced in anything, but more importantly, to be able to protect themselves and, they, and their colleagues and families, you know, by participating in the safeguards that we're advocating. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mrs. Thompson, tell me about the last year and how it's gone for you. I know you tragically lost your sister to COVID. Am I right? Yeah, I lost my sister and, and some other cousins in my family as well. I'm 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 so sorry. I mean, you know, this is touching the lives of so many people. The numbers are so big that it's touching everybody's lives, right? And and as you said earlier, the virus is showing no signs of abating. If anything, the numbers are heading in the other direction. I'm talking to the chair of public health. Are we doing enough as a state from your perspective as chair? And if not, what should we be doing? You know, um I held I held last year uh probably one of the uh the uh, only meetings for a long time about our preparation. And I had uh, all the departments that was under my jurisdiction to come over and talk to the committee about it. And I, uh, and I, uh, from time to time, have an opportunity to talk to Dr. Hellestad. And let me say this, this virus was so new uh, within our society until uh, the uh, medical professionals didn't know how to put their arms around trying to uh, trying to really attack it. And we, when we talked about the PPEs and we talked about sanitizers and a lot of other things, we were all of the opinion at that particular juncture 
that we were in good shape to be able to uh, fight against this virus. But we didn't know the magnitude of the uh, of the virus and to the extent that it can impact individuals' lives and health. And as time went on, we began to learn more about it, and we tried to gear up to be able to continue to address those things. But it was something that it didn't catch us by surprise. It was just something that, it, that we were just totally unaware of, of, of how to, how to uh, attack it. So you're forgiving of the state. If the state was inadequate in its response at the beginning, you're forgiving of that because this was such a new thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm forgiving anything. I'm just saying that this is such a this this yeah. has such a a devastating effect, and it was something that was so new and so devastating. We didn't know how to approach it, how to attack it. Right. But after a while, Mrs. Thompson, you know, when we realized, okay, this is a, a thing, this virus, and it's very serious, and people are dying. I, I need to ask you to hold people accountable in government. Do you think the governor did a good job? Has done a good job? Has HHSC done a good job? Do you think the federal government has done a, a good job? I want to ask you, who is responsible for how this has gone and have they done a good job or a bad job? I think, I think uh, when we look at it from hindsight 2020, there are a lot of things that we probably could have done to make uh, things much better. Well, but that's but, not very, uh, that, that's not very specific. But, are you, are you but, pulling but your punches? I've never known you to pull your punches. It sounds like maybe you're pulling your punches. No, no I'm not pulling my punches. No, what I think, what I think that we, what I think we're going to be able to do from this is, we're going to be able to take the knowledge and the experience that we have learned from this, and to be in a better position to prepare to fight these kind of pandemics in the future, and right. to prepare to probably uh, not to have this kind of encounter by our people. I think the biggest thing right now is how do we get people vaccinated? Right. How are we doing? How, how do you think we're? How do you think we're doing on vaccines so far? Well, for what we've been able to get and what we've been able to minister, we we thought we were going to have about 20 million people by this time at the end of the uh, 2019. We thought we'd have about 20 million people vaccinated. We have not had the the monies and the facilities to be able to do that. And I think I think that's uh, I think that we are recognizing that pandemic is is uh, is not letting up, and we're going to have to fight it harder. Therefore, I believe that we are going to uh, be able to open up more facilities and have more people giving out vaccines so that we can be able to reach the quotas of persons that we need to have vaccinated within our society. Yeah. Now we can point our fingers. We can point our fingers at everybody under, under the universe, and I can. We can talk about who should have done this and who should have done that. You know. But um, well, you know, Mrs. Tom, Mrs. Thompson. I'm a journalist. I like it when you point fingers. I mean, that's that's the fun part, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. But I, I understand your position. <laughs> I, I guess and I guess I understand yours because it's going to be a long session. and You've got to work with everybody. Right. Um, Mrs. Thompson, the pandemic has affected communities of color disproportionately. Black community, Hispanic community have seen, um, uh, you know, enormous consequences of this pandemic. Why do you think that is, and what can we do to go at it, uh, at it in such a way that communities of color are not suffering more than the state in the main? Well, you know, back in I think back in 2017, uh, we used to do those disparity studies, and we had a better, we was at a better vantage point of being able to look at 
the health care, uh, the implementation of health care, and so forth and so on within the minority community. And it's just like, let, let me ask you, answer your question this way. You cut your finger and you get an infection. And, and they say, don't worry about it, you know, uh, this is a minority kid. Just uh, put a band-aid on it and be okay. And then later on, uh, the infection doesn't, it, it gets worsened, and then, and then there has to be an amputation. Here's my point. If we're able to provide the, the, uh, uh, the kind of health care that we need to provide all our citizens, then we don't get to the point that that is a necessity for an amputation. We can catch problems that exist early on. Why is this important? It's good for the it's good for the individual. Second, lawly, it's good for it's good for government because we are not out of more money than we should have be out, than we should be out of in an effort to be able to take care of the health care for that person. And thirdly, you cannot have a a workforce within this state if you don't have a healthy workforce. Right. There's no way that. I mean that, that. I mean that's just common sense. So quality of healthcare is significant uh, in any society, and particularly, you know, within our state. And why are you going to escalate the cost of healthcare on the public when you don't have to? When we can take care of the things when they are small, minor, way up front. That, that, yeah. That's my point. Yeah. You know, uh, Mrs. Thompson, a lot of people want to talk about Medicaid expansion this session. This is obviously not a new topic. A conservative state legislature and conservative state leaders have basically spiked this conversation in the times it's come up before. But the number of people without health insurance in this state has gone up during the pandemic because of the economic downturn, people losing their jobs, insurance tied to those jobs. And so our numbers are now spiking the number of people who don't have access to health insurance. There have been some people who've said, you know, if we take the money, it's going to solve some of our budget problems. Um, after all, these are our tax dollars going to Washington. And if they don't come back to us in the form of Medicaid expansion, basically our tax dollars go to other states to pay for their health care. Do you as the chair of public health want to see that conversation happen this session? Yes. And let me, let me tell you why there's, there's a concern. There's a concern because Washington D.C. is getting tired of giving those those eleven fifteen waivers, right? And you know we've been we've been able to get about twenty five what billion dollars over a five year period. We own our last five billion, and we and, this, and that twenty five billion is going away, and we got to have something to replace it. So we're finally going to come to our good census and accept the money that has already belongs to us and bring it back home in an effort to be able to plug up this big void that this $25 billion has been filling. Right. So um, that's the reason why. That's the, that's, the, that's the thrust of wanting to get uh, to do this Medicare expansion because we need the money now. M Mrs. Thompson, I asked the speaker about this the other day, and he said the votes are not there. He didn't believe that the votes were there to, um, to expand Medicaid. Do you think the votes are there? You can count as well as anybody. Well, he's at a better advantage point of knowing what his party wants to do than I am. So maybe they are not there. Yeah. But 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 I, but I can tell you, uh, uh, treating the pandemic and the fallout of the pandemic is going to is going to exacerbate yeah. the cost of medical care within our state. Right. And this is why I'm saying that when we find when we are learning more about Evan that when people have had COVID, 
they have problems with 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 with, with bleeding they have problems with with this they have problems with that it is the it is the fallout of the impact of of covid on the individual health that's going to cost us each even more money in order to address right um, Mrs. Thompson, the virus was the big story of 2020, but right behind it was race. Last year, we had a nationwide conversation about systemic racism and criminal justice following George Floyd, Amin Arbery, Breonna Taylor. Of course, this is not a new conversation, right? It's one you've been having for decades, but it was more persistent and pervasive last year. Do you think we have a chance of seeing real reforms and meaningful progress in 2021? I hope we have. And let me tell you what. I have lived in a racist society all my life. And uh, some, some of my colleagues say that they don't, and they don't, they don't see it, but I can understand that from that vantage point, perhaps they don't. You, you believe that the world we're living in today, the society we're living in today in 2021 is racist, Mrs. Thompson? Yeah, and it's racist. Systemically racist. Yep. And so what is it you want to see happen? And what will you do? What will your part be in this legislature? What do you think is possible? Well, I think a lot of things are possible. You know, uh, we, we, a lot of times people say, you know, this is not impossible. Uh, but, you know, if you don't try, you know, it, it, it won't ever, you, you never know whether or not it was possible or not. Yeah. So I think, I think, it's, I think it's important because if we, if we just take, if we started taking care of some of the problems in the in the healthcare disparities areas, mm-hmm. in public education, um, and in other areas of our society, I think that we'd be a long way uh, down the road in being able to uh, have a better society for everybody to live in. We're not trying. I'm not trying to, and I don't know anybody else who's trying to get up a leg, one leg up on somebody else, or somebody else who's going to leave. You know, going to. Uh, lose power because of you giving a person the right to, to be respected or you giving them a right to a quality education. And and here's why I'm saying that. And I told you I've been I've been discriminated against and living in a racial society all my life. Um, I still live in the same neighborhood where I grew up in. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact I live on the same street that I grew up on. And after when I was a kid in uh, in my neighborhood going to elementary school, I used to have to wait for Book, textbooks that were outdated to come from white schools to my school to learn from those books. I would hope that in being able to work in the legislature with uh, my colleagues that we would understand that education, you can't have a, a good workforce unless you have an educated workforce. And nobody's going to come and invest their business within the state of Texas if you don't have the quality of education a person that they can hire to be able to perform the task of the jobs in which that company demands. Mm-hmm. And it's my hope and, and effort to work toward trying to improve the quality of education for the children of this state, regardless of the zip code that they live within. Yeah. To in, improve safety, the safety of that individual, regardless of the zip code, their ethnicity, color their skin of, of of their language that they speak. Yeah. 
Um, I want to come to education. I'm glad you brought all that up. I want to come to education actually in a second, because I do think it's going to be a big issue in this session. But let me stay with criminal justice, if you don't mind, for one more second. We heard a lot about defunding the police last year. Honestly, Mrs. Thompson, more from Republicans who tried to use that phrase politically against Democrats than from Democrats who are actually campaigning on it, because hardly any were. Is this a conversation we should be having, redirecting resources from public safety? I know there are some Republicans in the legislature who want to tie the hands of cities that might be entertaining that. The governor has spoken a lot about that. What do you think about this whole conversation about police and funding? Are you serious about people wanting, wanting to take local control away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Next, you're going to tell me water is wet, Mrs. Thompson, right? Um, oh, I'm still wondering. I'm still wondering in some, in, when I talk to some of my some people that I know whether or not that, that, that they believe water is wet. Yeah. Let, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think. Yeah. I know municipalities have a have a good op, have a, have the responsibility of trying to run their governments and then and hire and hire people. Mm-hmm. And um, defunding the police. It's something that I think the municipalities have to deal with. It's not the less, I don't think it's my role to uh, determine uh, the funding the funding of police. You know, the only role that I have in funding police is at the DPS, and that's at the state because it's a state agency. Right. It's a state. It's a state law enforcement. Uh, it's a state law enforcement uh, agency, and I, I and I don't uh, I don't see a reason uh, that I should be telling any city about how to fund them. I don't think that police officers should make less money if, it, if we were dealing with just the salary part of this this subject. I think I think I think police officers deserve good salaries and good benefits for the risk that we ask them to take. Yeah. And municipalities are the one that makes a determination on how they should pay them and, and what and what are the policies that they want in effect for police officers to perform. So if the state tries to step in and says, we want to tell cities how they can and can't spend their money on public safety, you will vote against any legislation that tries to restrict that. I have not seen the legislation, but I, but I can tell you what my opinion is. Yeah. My opinion is to allow those municipalities to run their cities on funding of their police force. Okay. Um, back, back on public education, which you brought up uh, a moment ago, you all made significant progress on school reform uh, school finance reform, pardon me, last session. E- education advocates, we have a story about this today. Education advocates are concerned that the money might not be there this time the way it was last time to fund many of the changes made, the teacher pay increase and the allotment per student and the full day pre-K. W- what's your best guess on that? Are you all going to be able to come back in a difficult budget environment and find the money this time? we got a rainy day fund. We don't well, have right. to as you know, you can, only use, you can only use the rainy day fund for very specific purposes, right? Education has a specific purpose. It's a purpose in which you empower a person with knowledge and uh, information so that they would be able to perform tasks and skills necessary for the performance of the economic benefits of the society. Yeah, but do you consider that a one-time expense, as I understand? I mean, there's so much about the rainy day fund that is as much myth as it is reality, but... The understanding I have is that that money can only be used for one-time expenses. That sounds like something is, it would be a persistent expense if you put it into education finance reform. Well, I, listen, I, I think the money, I think we need to find the money from somewhere because education is too critical to be able to continue to 
keep chopping at the roots of uh, instability. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think schools and colleges, I'm now talking about public ed and higher ed, schools and colleges have done a good job of approaching the task of educating kids in the middle of all this. I realized that for them, it was unprecedented in the way that it was unprecedented for the state. But I'm wondering about things like, do you think more kids should be in class in person in this pandemic? That also has been politicized, Mrs. Thompson. I think that I think that depends upon the I think that depends upon the protection that that school has to offer in terms of keeping that kid safe and healthy, because that kid is going to have to leave that classroom where that teacher is and go back to their home, yeah. and what are they taking back to their house and their families? Right. And then when they come from their families, what are they bringing to that teacher who's in that classroom? So I I just think I think this should be something left up to the school districts. Right. How much, Mrs. Thompson, do you worry about learning loss, especially in communities of color? We've heard a lot about that this year, that the consequences of virtual school seem to be much worse for non-white Texans. What do we do about that? We have to find a way to catch up, catch them up. And I have two granddaughters in, in public schools. Yeah. And let me tell you what, uh, just an HISD alone, they said that, they had, that there's been a, a large percentage of learning loss among the kids because I'm assuming this because of the virtual learning. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is something new and they have not had a chance to get a handle on how to really monitor and perfect the, uh, that tool. You, you, you may remember, Evans, you remember Grusendorf? Yeah, Ken, Ken, Ken Grusendorf was chairman of public ed, right? You remember Ken Grusendorf in 2007 had a, uh, I think it was 2005, 2007 had a bill on virtual learning because we, you know, we killed it. Uh, but I, I think this is going to be something that's going to end up being incorporated into the learning process as a whole. So we're going to have to figure out how to use virtual learning and in-classroom in learning. And this may become a tool in which we be able to help kids who are behind in certain subject matter, a tool in which we can help to catch them up. So this is something that will be one of the many things we hear about, you know, the after is going to be different from the before, right? When the pandemic's over, There'll be things that we did during the pandemic that are going to survive the pandemic. So virtual school may now become a thing, right, going forward. I, I believe, I personally believe that virtual, that, that, that this is going to survive the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, let me move away from issues and ask you about some political stuff. What do you think about that young whippersnapper, Dade Phelan? Um, it occurs to me that you were 37 years old and finished with your second session in the legislature when he was born. What do you think about him? Now you're going to out somebody's age. I ought to get oh. off the phone. Oh, goodness gracious, <laughs> Mrs. Thompson. I'm sorry to tell you that your age is public. Um, uh, what what oh, do you think no about problem. him? Listen, I, I've known him for a while. Yeah. Uh, from what I know about him, he's a, he's a very nice person. Uh, he's a, a, a tireless worker, a good person. He seems he has a grasp you know, of the political process. And and that's basically all I know about him. Right. Uh, he get along with people well, and I, I don't have a lot of in-depth knowledge of him. I'm learning. I'm, I'm on a learning curve like so many other members of the House. Right. But of course, you endorsed him. Uh, I assume you supported I did him. him. Yeah. Yeah. So why is he the right person to lead the House? There were a bunch of people who wanted to lead the House. You know, Jeannie Morrison would have been the first woman to be the Speaker of the Texas House. I mean, there's a lot of different people who had their uh, names uh, under consideration, but ultimately you chose him. So why is he the right person to lead? 
and they were all fine people who were running, all good folks, qualified, Emma qualified. Right. You know what? You 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 know the speaker's race is a numbers race. It is. And he was and able to seventy six. Yeah. He was he was able to have his numbers get his numbers in place quickly. Uh, they they had been working on. I'm pretty sure different groups had been working on their positions of of, of the speaker's race. Yeah. And he was able to he was able to outperform uh, everyone as, and and very quickly and to be able to hold on and maintain that uh, that group and build upon those numbers. Right. I mean, I guess that itself qualifies him to be speaker. Right. If you can get to 76, then that means you should be speaker. Well, you know, that's what it, that's that, that's usually the uh, that's usually the trend that has been in Texas. Uh, he you know, in addition to that, he worked for a good friend of mine, Mark Stiles who I served with in the Texas House. And he worked for another good friend of mine, Senator, Senator Tommy Williams. Uh, and I, I kind of judged him uh, based upon his association with those two gentlemen that I had known, come to know, and to respect for a very long period of time. But, but you know, he, he probably was the, the, the right person. I worked, He worked with me on a piece of legislation I had last session. He joined author of a piece of legislation I had. And I had a chance to work with him, talk to him about some issues uh, uh, dealing with juvenile justice and, and some other issues. Now, I know that he's, you know, uh, he has a different position on some issues that than I may have on, on, on those issues. But if you look at the whole overall picture of that, I, I just believe that just maybe at this particular time in, in our legislative process, you know, this is going to work. Yeah. Are you confident that, Dem- confident that Democrats will have influence over the agenda? I mean, there's always this discussion of what is the minority party's ability to contribute. You all came into the election 8367. You came out 8367. So it's no different in terms of the partisan breakdown. The question is whether you all can get into the conversation in a way that affects the outcome. What's your sense of that? I think it, I think that I think the Democrats are going to have a significant role within this legislative process because um, there are too many common issues that we're going to be able to uh, work on together: education, health care, criminal justice, juvenile justice, definitely the budget because that's the key. Yeah, and I think I think all of us are going to, all of us when you look at the whole, the scheme of things, all of us have a significant role to play. Right. I know the speaker has committed to having Democratic chairs again. That's the way it's been done by the Republican majority. Right. This is not that big of a of a deal because it's the way it's always been done. And it was done by the Democratic majority when we were in control. Indeed. So let me ask you, Mrs. Thompson, will you be a chair again? And do you want to chair public health again? Well, what I was going to do, uh, Evan, since I have known you a long period of time. Yes. And I and you, and you have always been so nice to uh, allow me to come and interview with you and answer questions for you. I was going to ask you to help to use your influence with the speaker to get me a chairmanship. You want me to call him up right now? Maybe I can get him on. We can do a three way call. Oh, How about oh, that? Okay, go ahead. I, I hang on. Go ahead. Call him up. Hey, um, surely you've expressed <laughs> surely you've expressed a preference, Mrs. Thompson, to the speaker. Do you want we a chair? Got our, we just got we just got our, we just got our car late yesterday afternoon. Right. So you're going to fill it out. Are you going to indicate that you want to chair public health again? Uh, I think I think what I would like to uh, indicate, I'm, I want appropriations. 
You I, want to chair I'm appropriations. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Boy, I think if you yes, chair appropriations, that would be news, right? I think uh, Brian. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. I think uh, it would be uh, world news. It would I be think, world news. I think uh, <laughs> Jeff Kaysen and Brian Slayton's heads might explode, actually, if that happened. Um, uh, let me let me go back and ask you, you know, you were a candidate briefly for speaker yourself. You filed at a time when you thought the Democrats might take control. How badly did you want to be speaker? Uh, I, listen, I, the reason I filed is because I was encouraged by my colleagues to file. Right. And I think if I had won, if we had won and I had won the speaker's race, I think I could be just as uh, more effective than any other person who would hold that role. Right. What was the biggest change you would have made if you had gotten the job? Well, let me see now. One of the things that I would have made sure was that women, more women serve in, in, in leadership capacities as chairman of the substantive committees. Right. Well, you just brought, brought up, you, you bring up an important point. You know, there aren't that many women in the building. There were 48 women in the legislature this time. There were 42 last time. But if you go back over the years, Mrs. Thompson, since 1845, only 179 women have even been elected to the legislature, which is less than the seats in one legislature, right? I mean, there just aren't that many women yeah. in the building. I mean, I guess, I guess that's just and a fact that hangs out there, right? I mean, what are you going to do about that? Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to integrate them in, in, into a greater role models. You know, uh, uh, <clears throat> Evans, your first teacher was your mother. Who was a female? Yeah, that's right. And probably your, and probably the first teachers you had in elementary school were females too. Were so women? We've that's exactly you, right. We've been training. We were training you wonderful men for many years, and <laughs> we have lost our touch on our training. Right. And our ability, and we have lost our touch on teaching as well. And so we feel like if we have a good learning curve as well. We, you know, we are capable of being able to man and perform in high uh, committed. Uh, 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 committees uh, just as our counterparts are. Yep. And we want to have an option. We want to have some of those opportunities. Right. Well, you know, on this question of, of demographics and legislature, my colleague Alexa Ura publishes every two years a story about the demographic breakdown of the legislature. Earlier this week, she published her story about the 87th session, and she reported that this legislature, no surprise, is older, whiter, and maler than the state, in some cases, significantly so. I mean, the population of Texas is half men and half women. But again, there are only 48 women out of 181 members of the legislature. What, what do you think about that demographic breakdown? And why do you think that's the case? Well, it's the way the people it's the way the people vote. And I think that, you know, I know that money plays a big role in, in, in elections and and for and men. I mean, I even I still have persons who. Uh, in spite of my performance, in spite of my abilities, which I think I, and my contribution, I think I make a, a large contribution to the legislative process, men still get uh, 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 donations higher than me. Not just because I'm African-American, because I'm female. Yeah. And that happens to my white counterpart, female as well. And people have still, there's still a reluctancy uh, not to give that man that extra shot at uh, that office uh, as opposed to giving it to a woman. There's yeah. still that reluctance there. Yeah. What do you think the consequences are of having a legislature that doesn't reflect the diversity of the state? 
I think we I think you you missed uh I think the uh, legislature's at a not at a great vantage point in being able to utilize all of the knowledge, experience and the skills in going into the development of the of the uh resolution of the issues that impact them. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds to me like you're still enjoying this, Mrs. Thompson, right? You're still, you still like being in the I legislature? Do. Yeah, yeah. Is, is this okay. your last session? Let me, session just, tell you, or, let me or you, tell you this. Yeah. No, absolutely not my last session. So are you announcing right not. now? Are you announcing a run right now for a 26th term? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And let me just, let me, let me tell you this. This is the only place that I know that I can, I can go to the legislature and express my opinion without arrest, getting arrested. <laughs> well, not yet. It's it's still early in the session, <laughs> Mrs. Thompson. So uh, you know what I, I'm I'm going to have I'm going to have to take an addendum uh, to my uh, my answer from you, Evans. Not yet, because things are changing so rapidly. We just don't know what the consequences of things may end up being. Well, we definitely don't. Look, if you get arrested, you you have my number. You just call me. I'll come bail you out. Okay. I, well, listen. I'm, I thank you so much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, State Representative Sinfronia Thompson, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, the Hobby School of Public Affairs at the University of Houston, UT Health School of Public Health, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.